Looking ahead, challenges and opportunities in the changing world. Welcome to Talking Economics, podcast launched on the occasion of the 30th anniversary of the Center for Economic Research and Graduate Education, Economics Institute. How has the current pandemic affected measuring poverty and evaluating welfare programs? My name is Katarina Stehlíková, and in today's podcast, we will take a closer look at these and other questions with my guest, Nikolas Mitak. Nikolas has been an associate professor with tenure at SERGI, an associate professor at SERGE, Charles University, and a researcher at the Economics Institute of the Czech Academy of Sciences. He is also affiliated under the Institute for the Study of Labor and the University of Chicago. He received his PhD in public policy studies from the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. His main research interest is in evaluation of government programs, applied microeconomics, labor economics, and measurement error issues. Welcome, Nicholas. Thanks. Look forward to, to talking. Well, uh, the list of your research interests is... Uh, say rather long and extensive. So I suggest we start with a brief description of what your research is focused on currently. Well, as you can see from the from the long list, maybe it's not that not that focused because it focuses on things I'm I'm interested in. But I think for the purpose of talking today, the the part of my work that's that's relevant is on on measuring and evaluating government programs. Um, I work on a very specific aspect of it, which is how can we use existing survey data, how can we combine it with administrative data to better measure what these programs do, how they work, um, given the fact that we often rely on survey data alone, and people are often reluctant or, or enabled to report the government aid that they that they get. Mm-hmm. And this seems very well aligned or very relevant for the situation during and after the pandemic, right? Because the government programs were a key component, I would say, of saving the situation. So um, what would you like to say regarding the COVID and the government aid? Well, COVID primarily was a was a was a health shock, right? So, so the main strain was on the on the health sector, which is a public program, but one that I don't work much on. Um, I work more on on government transfer programs and welfare programs, um, which of course bore the brunt of the of the response to the to the health crisis, right? We we essentially shut down public life for a while. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people lost income. So that's what the government safety net is designed to to work on. Um, and if you get a large shock to that, of course, it, it moves into focus, right? We had a lot of discussion about what the government should do, what it can do, how it should do it. Um, and these happened to be the question that beforehand we thought about alone in our office. And now they were much more in public focus because a lot of more people needed help. Mm-hmm. And from your perspective, from the perspective of uh public economics, can you say what are the main or what were the main tools the governments used, maybe use your experience from the US? Um, well, well, there were lots of lots of tools. So let me first clarify that that I work on I work on income and, and monetary transfers, which of course, were just one way hardship hit people in the pandemic, right? Staying at home, child services were disrupted. Um, there are lots of mental health problems, right? We need to deal with, with these. So I deal with, with income. Um, 
and I think there there are two parts to it. One one is um, you have a safety net in place, um, and that gets a much larger shock than usual. Right now, it's not only one person who loses their job, but a lot of people and different people than than before, and different people being in temporary un- unemployment. So one component you can rely on is the existing safety net and how it expands. You could see that in the U.S. very well, where the the unemployment insurance system acted as one of the major things to fend off drops in income. I think we've had a, a, an increase in unemployment insurance claim within a week uh, that was far beyond anything we've ever seen in the in the U.S. ever since the, the program started. And we still continue to highly rely on it. But even if you just look at unemployment insurance, you can see that it wasn't enough for, for to catch this type of shock. The government immediately expanded the existing program, unemployment insurance, more benefits, made more people eligible in order to catch a much larger shock than we've ever we've ever seen. Um, so that's the second way in which the government can act. It can expand existing programs. So that has the big advantage that you have a program in place. It's easy to administer, right? You have this infrastructure, people know about it, um, so you can easily add on to on to that. And my understanding is that, that the response of unemployment insurance, while it had some glitches, was overall very successful. Um, I, I, I think there's evidence that within a few months, almost everyone who was looking for work and needed help received unemployment insurance benefits in the US. It varied a bit by state, some were better, some were worse. It took a while in the initial month of the, of the pandemic to process everything. Thing. Um, but including the expansion, it seems to have been very, very successful. Now, a third way you can react, and you probably should react, is by, by immediate emergency relief. Um, and that's where a lot of the discussion came about, what should the government actively do? This was a new type of crisis. It's a much bigger crisis than we've seen before. So that raises the question whether the response should be bigger than what the safety net usually responded. And we've seen that as well in the in the US with the economic impact payments. Um, I, I, I think here we had a couple of new programs such as the Kurzarbeit program or, or immediately immediate relief. Um, so, so that's direct government action to fend off things that you think the safety net didn't catch well. Uh, part of what you mentioned is the Kurzarbeit, and uh, one of the main arguments, I think, for that uh, here, uh, and it was a new thing here, uh, was that it will prevent, actually, people from becoming unemployed, right? It will prevent them from losing their jobs, so kind of preventing the use of the standard safety net and the unemployment benefits. And the uh, arguing was that we want to preserve the relationships between the employers and the employees and the you know, human capital. So can you comment on that, whether you think what are the benefits or uh, why wasn't it applied in the U.S.? S- so let me start with a complicated question, which is why wasn't it applied in the U.S.? And, and particularly since we've seen that it was a very successful tool in the previous crisis in, in Europe. Um, I can't really answer that. My guess is that that's by and large something between cultural and labor market differences. The, the U.S. has a culture where you can lay people off and rehire them. People go on unemployment insurance for short spells and then often come back to the same employer. Um, and then you might not need Kurzarbeit as much, right? As you said, there, 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 or, or you mentioned one 
advantage of Kurzarbeit, which is it preserves employer-employee relationships. And these can be costly to reset up, right, to find a new employer, to rehire people. So if it's easier to rehire people, then then you might not, or then Kurzarbeit loses one of its main, main, main attractions. Um, the other key advantage of Kurzarbeit, I, th I think, in this, in this situation, which would apply to the US as well, is that contrary to unemployment insurance, people continue to work. So if you want to keep some economic activity alive, then it makes sense to keep these people on Kurzarbeit rather than have them go on unemployment in insurance. And I think particularly in the beginning of the pandemic, when we were all hoping that it wouldn't last for two years or more, um, was both to preserve these these ties and to keep people in in work, to keep them in employment and to keep them in 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 work. Um, so I think it's a very it's a very useful tool. Um, I'm I'm very glad we introduced it. At the same time, I think it it highlights um, what what economic research can can achieve for you can 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 help you with um and and that's the design of these of these programs um and and i think with with Kurzarbeit, as 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 good as it is and and i'm not trying to say it would be better if we didn't have it but i think it would be better if we had designed it better so let me let me give you two two examples of how how you should watch um both just basic economic insights and and the empirical evidence we have on on existing government programs. So in terms of in terms of simple economic insights, um, what we just said was the idea is to keep people in employment relationships so that it's easier for them to go back to the same job after the crisis is done. Right? That would facilitate the economy picking up again. That would make it less costly for people to find find new jobs. Right? But that only makes sense. If after the crisis you actually go back to the same job, if you do not go back to the same job, or if you would not go back to the same job regardless of course abide, then it can actually be damaging. You might keep a job where you shouldn't be. That's not useful to you and the employer for a while. So you kind of continue working on that instead of getting new skills, finding a new job, looking for something new, right? So what you want to do is you want the program to be structured in a way that both the employer and the employee think about whether it's worth it for them to get back together again. You can do simple things like make, the, make, make companies pay part of it if they use it. That would make them think, do I really want to invest this small amount because I think we'll get back together again and, and then that'll be easier. It's worth it. Mm -hmm. um, rather than just have a blanket program that you can get anyway. right? And I think that way we could have preserved more jobs that would resume. And on the other hand, pushed more people to unemployment insurance and thereby looking for new jobs, looking for new things to do, who would not get back together again. There's an open question whether that actually was a prob problem or whether that actually is a problem, right? It might really hinder the, the, the pickup of the economy if you're stuck in, in, in essentially bad employment relationships because of habit, right? At the moment, I think what we see is that some sectors have a shortage of workers and other sectors still need help, still have excess, excess employment relationships. So that may have many, many, many reasons. But it is consistent with the idea that maybe we overdid it. Maybe more people should have looked for new jobs and others should have been preserved. 
And the question is, as you said, there is also one of the big issues where the mental health issues, and there is so much uncertainty now that this would add additional stressor factor to people here, you know, that you are losing your job. So maybe this was helping on, on this front. In the US, as you say, people are more used to going uh, and, and more used to the flexible job market, labor market. Uh, here, I think it's more about the certainty and... Uh, No, sure. There's there's some value to to certainty um, and to doing that. There's a question whether and 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 I think there you're right. There's a question whether if you stay in your employment relationship just to lose it at the end of the of the crisis in a bad economy, whether that's better. I tend to agree with you that maybe we have enough to worry about now and can worry about that later. Um, but it does it does present a significant threat. To, to the take-up of the economy after the crisis if we get people stuck in the employment they, uh, they had, right? Maybe a simpler example of, of how we can think about simple economic incentives and what they do is, is the question of how much work incentives you, you provide within Kurzarbeit. The program we implemented here had no incentives for you to work. If yeah. part of the point is to keep you working, as much as it makes sense, as much as as you can, right? Both for your mental health, probably, that's probably good. Um, and also for the economy, that's probably good if we, if we keep more people working. Um, then you could have easily made the replacement rate, meaning the fraction of the month of your wage that the government pays for you, increase in the number of hours you work. So that if you work very little, you're pretty much doing the same as if you were on UI. Whereas if you work more, you get more and more and more replaced of your salary, which is better for your for your employer and better for you, most likely. And at the same time, it would have kept you working more. So this is a simple incentive on how to structure a government program that, to my knowledge, is not reflected in the in the implementation of the program. I'm not saying that that the program is bad, right? I'm trying to say the program could have probably been been better, and we would should have looked at all kinds of factors that influence it. We could have could have looked at what's the mental health cost of losing jobs worth versus keeping them, right? Who loses their job? Who would relocate? Um, is that feasible, right? We could have looked at all these things and incorporated them. Maybe this is one of the opportunities presented by the uh, pandemic because. Uh As you were saying, in the US, they were relying on the existing safety net and existing programs. And this Kurzarbeit, which was newly introduced here relatively quickly, right, because the pandemic was a huge shock and at the beginning it was the strongest. Uh, it's now being considered or was considered for being becoming a standard tool that would kick in always if uh, in case of some sort of disaster in a way or, or uh, troubles. So... Uh, it's an opportunity for economists to advise on how uh, these programs can be designed, right? And what are the important features uh, to be taken into account? One of the issues where uh, was with the programs here was the bureaucracy, right? That many programs requested a lot of paperwork, which was uh, daunting, and people then either were not successful or were not even interested in applying because it was too complicated. Um, what does an economist say on that? <laughs> well, it's 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 a it's a problem we've 
we've looked at since forever, right? Do people actually get a program once you once you do it? I think as 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 the government, you should lay out rules on who should be supported. And then the people who are eligible, you want them to actually get the program. And we've known since forever that that's, that's not how it works in practice. There are lots of problems of getting bureaucracy. I think the other part that's very important is information about the program, right? You really had to follow the government programs in order to understand what you were eligible for, what you could get, um, right? And, and and I can tell you, I, 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 I didn't. No, I didn't need any help, so maybe that's good. Um but those are two key problems, right? Do you know about the program? And then if you know about the program and you should be eligible, can you actually get it? Um, and these were, these were vastly amplified by the, by the pandemic, right? Information is harder to come by because you have less social, social interactions. Um, there were new programs, so less information was around about, about them. But also the implementation and the, and the bureaucracy. Not only were there many more people who requested help, so that overwhelmed agencies, uh, right? Um, but also, we needed to deliver it much quicker than than usual. Well, actually, that's an interesting question, whether we needed to deliver it more quickly or whether that came into focus now, right? All the people that were working, waiting for help from, from the government now, isn't someone in a normal situation when they lose their job in a similar situation? Isn't that just as bad? It's just not as many. It's just not you and me who get these types of pro- problems. So I think an aspect of it that it that it did was it it shed a lot of light on problems that people had all the time um, that you and I probably just weren't as aware of. At the same time, of course, the problems were were very different from what we what we knew in terms of in terms of bureaucracy, in terms of it being being overwhelmed. Um, but you could see here that I, I, I think as as far as I know, you might not might know better than than I do, some of these early programs, they were not taken up at all. Um, and that's of course a problem, right? If you design a program and you want to help someone and then it just doesn't work, that's a problem. Um, it might be even worse that it goes to the wrong people. Right. You can think about a simple case where many of these these programs were very bureaucratic. Um, mm-hmm. If you're trying to work and I don't know support two kids, do you have the time to actually do that? And maybe the person who's less in need of help actually manages more. So a layer of bureaucracy induces a margin of selection of who gets the program exactly. that I think we do not want. Of course, you have the flip side of it. In if you if you look at if you look at the U.S., for example, um, part of the response was was in in introducing new programs in 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 UI, but part was also essentially a blanket income transfer. I'm not sure why I should get a check from the U.S. government. I didn't lose my job. I I didn't have a dip in income. In fact, I was able, wasn't able to spend as much as I usually would. So why does the U.S. government send me a check? Uh, right. So the flip side of of having a program that does not in, include many eligibility criteria is that it's too broad. It's inefficient. You might argue that that's still better than missing people that that need help. But I think there's a there's middle ground where you set eligibility criteria that are very simple to check that are very simple to implement, that maybe can be can be assessed ex post, and design programs in a way they're self-targeting. What I said about Kurza by it imposing some cost on the employer, that makes the employer and the employee think, do we really want this? 
if you structure it right, I think you can go a long way towards saying, well, only the people who need this will even apply for for it. I think these are lessons that in other forms we've we've worked on, we've researched for, for a long time in, in 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 any, not only in economic research on, on poverty and welfare programs, and that have taken much more center stage and much more much more prominence in the in the pandemic. Um you set several conditions for how to make this uh, these programs function better and to decrease the bureaucracy. Um, but I think one of the issues here was that uh, the the agencies needed different uh, pieces of information from various other agencies because it's not connected, right? Because the data is not available in a central system. So they were relying on the applicants to provide them these uh, pieces of information from different sources. Um, to what extent do you think this is an issue and and to what extent does it work better in the US? I think I can only answer the first <laughs> the, the 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 first question. I think that's a uh, that's a huge issue, right? Um, because if you rely on the applicant to provide information, you need the applicants to actually come up with that. Um, and I don't know whether you had to to supply any of the information to get exact records of my income, that takes a while. And I'm not going to do it while I'm very busy, I don't know, taking care of a kid, looking for a job, trying to work from home in between two quarantines, right? So in many ways, that means that you impose a cost on exactly the people who need most help. And anything you can do to reduce that is extremely valuable. Right, so if you can check it more, more, um, more automatically, if you can gather the information from other sources, um, then that reduces the burden. Not actually, not only on the applicant, but also on the agency. Right, we know we know from a couple of contexts that social workers make a huge differences difference in in terms of who gets aid and who doesn't get aid, um, and that's probably not good, right? because it should be determined by by the need of the applicant um, and not by the ability of the of the social worker to to fill in the missing missing pieces so I think that's where we can do a lot on the other hand we know of plenty of negative examples of, of actually automating a system um, it relies a lot on human interactions it relies a lot on providing the information you 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 have um, so I don't think a, a completely automatic system would solve the problem, but certainly having more information, having more of the information supplied directly, makes a lot of sense. It makes no sense that you have to go to your employer to check for data, bring it to the government that the government has in another part of the of the system. Particularly since you, other people's employers may not be as ready as ours to to quickly provide it. It often comes uh, down to the availability of data and uh, having the information uh, available readily. Do you see any progress or any changes in this respect? Possibly highlighted by the pandemic or pushed by the pandemic? Actually, not much, but that doesn't mean it's not there. One, one reason for that is that attempts to attempts to improve the data sharing infrastructure take a long time 
Um, so, so maybe there is some benefit and we'll see it in the long run. I think we've seen a lot of it in the health system. Um, I'm not sure how that works over here. In, I, I remember that at the beginning of the pandemic in Germany, they were sending case numbers by with, with a fax machine and then had to re-digitalize it. Um, so there's scope for improvement. <laughs> um, but I don't know whether we see it. We see it yet. I think in the health system, we've seen a lot of these efforts to unify it, to to streamline, to streamline it. Um, we now report statistics on it on it very well. I'm not aware of that in the welfare system. I have some hope for that happening, because now you and I know of that problem, right? How many of us have thought about the the, the challenges someone who needs help and who seeks it faces in terms of just getting that that help. Now a lot more of us have experienced that, so maybe we can improve it in the future, how difficult it is to get help if you're eligible for for help. Um, that was confined to a small number of people before, and so maybe now we'll do something about, about that. Um, I hope so, especially here. I think the U.S. has relied much more on existing systems, so the, the problem wasn't as as salient there um, but here we actually have the data and we could use it for for many pr purposes to determine eligibility to actually figure out how these programs work and who gets them you think we have the data here in the Czech Republic to a much larger extent than than the US um, and 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 it's not only having the data it's it's also uh, the fact that it's much easier to connect it People in the Czech Republic are uniquely identified by, I think, actually three numbers, <laughs> right? You have your insurance number, you have your birth number, and then, then you have your tax number and, and all of them. So we have an excessive system of identifying people. You actually even have your permanent address, which uniquely identifies you unless you're a foreigner, right? The so question can, is to what extent you can get to the data, right? Because there are legal issues which are uh, making it more complicated. That's much more, I think, the, the, the issue. And if I understand my, my colleague Philippe Pertold correctly, then this data sits in different places and it needs to be needs to be connected. <coughs> That's a similar problem in in the US. Um, plus there you have the problem that even if you get it, you might not be able to connect it because there's no unique no unique identifier. Um, in in the U.S. even before the pandemic, this is this is part of what I what I and my colleagues worked worked on. We've I think we've made a lot of progress towards data sharing between agencies. Um, I I think okay. the the standard here still is that you can ask another agency for data that they have. If you're if you're I don't know in the Ministry of of, of Labor and you want to implement an unemployment insurance program. Um, you could ask the Ministry of Social Affairs or whatever whatever it is for for the data, but the default would be that they're not obliged to give it to you. They can simply say no. And just changing that to a status quo where, in principle, you're obliged to provide that data, so no requires a justification, I think makes a huge difference. Right at the moment, the the situation is as follows: You sit at the at the other ministry, and you think, eh, "What if something bad happens with that data? That's going to look bad for me because I said we can ship it out." Even if the default is just to say, "No, you have to ship it out," 
then you can say that was part of my job. I had to ship it out, right? This is what this is what should have happened, um, and I think that greatly facilitates it. Um, I think we've seen right even before the pandemic, we've we've we have much more data than uh, than before. It's it's collected in decentralized manners, and we need a framework to put it all together and 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 collect it and really make use of use yeah. of it. That would be great. And in terms of, um, as you said, there were many, um, many <coughs> government programs. Do you see any evaluation of those, of the success of the programs uh, here or in the U.S.? Do you see them being assessed and some lessons learned for the future? I or think I think we 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 do in in the U.S. We have a lot of evaluations um, or we have several evaluations it's difficult in the short run right particularly since we have a lot of other things to <laughs> to to do so first step is usually just to see who gets them did they did they prevent a drop in 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 income um, did the people who were eligible take them take them up um, I think that's traditionally being being evaluated more in a place like the U.S. that puts more emphasis on on empirical research in 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 policy, but I think we've seen idea do a couple of studies. There was a study on who received kurzarbeit um, mm-hmm. that that they did, and and even if these are not studies like academic papers who try to to estimate causal effects of things, these are tremendously important. Right, one thing you can see from the study on kurzarbeit is that. A huge fraction of the money for Kurzarbeit went to large companies. Now, one of the few things, or one of the most solid things I think we know about Kurzarbeit is that it doesn't seem to work well for large firms. It's important for for small firms who cannot fend off a huge shock, right? Whereas on the other hand, huge car manufacturers who make millions of dollars of profit and have huge cash reserves... Um, they could have paid for that program for for the continued employment relationship themselves, right? I think that's the reason why it doesn't work well for for big companies, um, because the ones that are doing well can deal with it themselves, um, and the ones that are not doing well, well, maybe there was a reason they didn't do that that well. Um, so these evaluations are important, right? You can you can and you can think of it in a positive way that. This brought a lot of this brought a lot of action to the idea of helping other people, to the idea of fending exactly. off poverty. So we tried a lot of new things, right? Now would be the time to look at them and think what worked, what, what can we do better next time, in the hope that we won't have a next time like like this. Um, but we better be prepared next time, right? And what might work in normal situations? Right, which parts of these programs seem to have seem to have positive effects? You can see that in the U.S. now, where there's a huge debate about things like the child tax credit, um, that was vastly expanded during the during the mm-hmm. pandemic, and now we're talking about whether it should be permanent. How should it be permanent? How should it be structured? Um, so I think we learned a lot about that from the from the pandemic, and that's why we should get the data and actually look at it and evaluate it to see what we can do what we can do better. Perfect. I think with this we can we can uh, finish. Thank you sure. for being here and thank you for um, all the interesting information you gave us. Thank you. No, yeah, thanks a lot for for having me. Thank you.